recording this on August 22nd, 2020 at around two in the afternoon. So by the time you hear this, the hosts have given up on hockey and are seeking less heartbreak in other sporting events. Welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, the hockey show that's just as good at predictions as a coin. I'm Stuart Jones and with me is Darren Plett. Hi, Stu. Hello, Darren. Oh, I've been better. You've been better. Yeah, as you can imagine. I, I could imagine. Um, I guess before we dig into that uh, too far, maybe we'll just kind of review how well our predictions went this round of the playoffs. Yes, I like postponing the sadness a little bit more. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, as I alluded to, um, we didn't do completely terribly in our predictions, but we didn't do very good either. No. Um, I don't know if you can call it a passing grade, but I think we were both about 50-50 on the teams that won. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I feel like people that listen to this should expect a little bit better from a hockey podcast, but I'm secretly quite proud with 50%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's fair, I guess. Um, I don't remember how well we did last year, but I do remember it was crazy, and I feel like we did very poorly. So Probably. maybe this is an improvement. Maybe we should have looked at that first, but oh well. Uh, let's start with the East, shall we? Let's. Philly and Montreal. I believe we both had Philly winning that, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had them winning in five. What did you have? I also had them winning in five. Yeah, they ended up winning it over Montreal in six. So Montreal, just a tiny bit scrappier than we thought. Yeah, but, they've, def- you know. they've definitely got some fight in them. Like, they barely scraped their way into the play in even and then somehow beat Pittsburgh like I, mm-hmm. they definitely have a lot more going for them than I think we give them credit for yeah definitely they're they're a much better team than the last time they were in the playoffs um but I, I think if they were up against some of the other teams in the east they may have had a bit better shot but Philly is just doing really well this year too so yeah. Definitely. I think if Montreal can find like a big star player, like, I don't know, a Lafreniere or somebody. Oh, too soon. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) No, but if they can find like a big star player or something, they're actually in a pretty decent spot. But until then, bye, Montreal. Yep. Uh, So another one in the East was uh, Columbus and Tampa Bay. Now, we both wanted <laughs> miracles to happen two years in a row. Yeah, is that uh, too much that, to ask for? <laughs> apparently it is. Uh, we both thought Columbus would take out Tampa again. Uh, again, seems a bit too much to ask for. Uh, we also both said it would go all the way to seven games. Uh, it ended up Tampa actually beating Columbus in five. But, you know, there was like six overtime periods that were actually started. So that really, that's practically seven games worth of hockey. So I'm going to say that our prediction was actually kind of close. Yeah, I never <laughs> looked at it that way, but yeah, that's total, basically total playing games. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we, we were wrong. Uh, Tampa Bay clearly did not want a repeat of last year. Columbus fought hard and, you know, even though they lost that series in five, like I said, there were a lot of overtime, so I feel like they gave 
a bigger fight and it it was a lot closer of a series than it looks on the scoreboard i i gotta give massive props to columbus for being the team that won after the six overtime game that they lost yes like that, that's true too that's insane like after they lost that i was like oh man they are toast and then they came back and won the next game and yeah that's the only game that they won but that's totally ludicrous to me that you can lose a heartbreak of a game like that and just come out the next game and win that's they got some serious mental fortitude on that team i think yep totally agree that was definitely a a miracle in itself to win after losing that heartbreak what else did we have in the east we had washington and the islanders Uh, i don't know about you but i had washington beating new york in five here yeah, I had Washington in six. I think this is the series that I was the farthest off on. Yep, same. <laughs> Wasn't uh, even as, close. As it happens, uh, the Islanders beat Washington uh, in five games. And yeah, well, I, I don't know uh, if Washington was playing like really that poorly or if, like New York obviously is a pretty decent team. They played well, but um, yeah, I was surprised to see them handle Washington that easily. Yeah. The big storyline for that was that Barry Trotz was the coach in Washington when they won the cup two years ago. And he is now the coach in New York after getting kind of unceremoniously ditched after Washington's Stanley cup win. And he took it to his old team. I mean, he's one he's one of those coaches like Tortorella that gets his team to work so hard and it seems like they rely on team cohesiveness more than star power and scoring. So like I expected them to be pretty good, but I did not expect them to just blow Washington out of the water like that. Yeah, no doubt. They'll be a, a team to watch for sure. We'll uh We'll see how long to watch this year and how long to watch in the future, but a team to watch in my view. And last in the East, Boston over Carolina. Again, I believe we both had Carolina upsetting Boston here. Yep. Uh, That so much did not happen now, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, is unfortunate for fans of, uh sports that don't live in new england <laughs> oh, <laughs> because like really does boston need to win more things apparently they do like you know obviously they're a good team there's no question about that and i respect that of them i sort of prefaced my prediction last um episode by saying you know they looked very sleepy in that uh round robin but to be fair, they clearly just didn't care about the round robin quite as much as they did about the playoffs, which is understandable. Uh, you know, not to make excuses for my prediction. I really did think Carolina was going to win, and I really was wrong. But Boston keeps going. I believed in Carolina more, especially after they dispatched the Rangers so easily. And I think I said in the last episode that everything was clicking and their stars looked good. And Dougie Hamilton was coming back, and he's a great, great player for them. And... uh I expected more from them. Like, I don't think they played poorly against Boston, but Boston just really exerted their will. And a big a big injury actually happened to Carolina. That's Andrei Svechnikov went down. Uh, he's a pretty integral player for them. I, I think they could have won without him, but uh, kind of like Kachuk in Calgary, which I'm sure we'll get to, he's kind of a, a heartbeat of their team. And mm-hmm. seeing him go down with the 
with an injury definitely didn't help their cause. But yeah, I, I'm a little surprised at the outcome. But at the end of the day, I can't be too surprised because Boston is just that good. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Carolina did not play that series poorly by any means. Boston is just such a tough team to play against, such a tough team to get going, such a tough team to score against, such a tough team to like stand next to <laughs> without getting pummeled <laughs> into the ice. So, yeah, Boston someday, dominated. Someday there will come a time when no Boston sports team is good and New England fans will just be shedding tears over the awfulness of their sports teams and the rest of us can all be happy <laughs> uh, dreams dreams <laughs> well that was the east <laughs> so uh yeah we we did really bad there we i think both got one out of four yeah it turns out that our west-based hockey podcast is not particularly good at predicting east playoff series who who would have known who would have known but hey good news we must have been much better in the west so i guess let's go there now let's do it uh, vegas over chicago i had them i had vegas winning over chicago in five and that's exactly what happened i think you had the same did you not i had the exact same yeah that was the only series where i was bang on with the team and the number <laughs> of games so i will take it yeah so um i yeah that was pretty obvious honestly after game three i thought you know what if i was to pick a sweep in the first round it probably should have been this one but then chicago fought back on one game so i'm glad i didn't <laughs> yeah i don't think there's too much to say about this series honestly it was so predictable that we could even predict it and vegas is good <laughs> and chicago couldn't hang with how good they are that's that's the long and short of it yeah exactly colorado and arizona i had uh, Colorado winning in five. I think you had this one as a sweep, right? Yeah, that was my only sweep pick. And I guess we didn't get any sweeps or game sevens in this entire first round, which is kind of a shock. But yeah, I mean, it's true. This was as close to a sweep as you're going to get without actually getting one, I think. Yeah, exactly. It did end up being Colorado over Arizona in five, but the last two games were both decisive victories, 7-1 uh, for Colorado. So, yeah, that I feel like that's that like cancels out Arizona's one win. Yeah, and honestly, it's not even that Arizona's that terrible of a team. It's just, man, Colorado's scary, and I'm sure we'll get to it when we do our you know, next round predictions at the end, but Colorado's honestly overwhelming with how good they are right now. Yeah, Colorado, watching that series has made me rethink my my plans for the next couple rounds. <laughs> yeah, so. me too, for sure. Uh, yeah, and then uh, St. Louis and Vancouver. Uh, this one I had wrong. I thought St. Louis would handle Vancouver fine, uh, and I thought it would take six games. Uh, you had Vancouver beating St. Louis in seven. I did. I, believe, right? I did. I hadn't looked at my notes uh, in like a week or so. So I, I was under the impression that I had picked Vancouver in six, but it was in fact seven. I'm very proud of this pick. I had a strong feeling about this one. It just wasn't just like a, you know, throw this out there. I don't know what's yeah. happening. I had a feeling uh, St. Louis was kind of not ready for what Vancouver was going to bring because Vancouver... I think even us, you and I, 
as Flames and Oilers fans probably like to write off Vancouver and make fun of Jim Benning, their GM, as a buffoon. And, oh, they make such stupid free agent signings. But they're sneaky good. They have some really good young players, and they have a really good goalie. So I just had a feeling that Vancouver could pull it off, and they did in less games than I thought they would. Yeah, I I agree. Vancouver is a much better team than I give them credit for, and I think that's a sort of begrudging, I don't want them to <laughs> yep. be good, so I ignore <laughs> that fact. Um, I'm still not going to cheer for them in the next round or anything. Um, you know, I don't really buy into the whole, they're the last Canadian team, so you have to. Uh, so <laughs> i actually going to like go against you there. I... When they had Bieksa and Kessler and Burroughs and those guys, I hated Vancouver probably even more than I hated Edmonton because they were dirty and they're floppers and everything about them just made you so angry. <laughs> and I actually don't have a problem cheering for them right now. That is such a weird thing to say as a Flames fan, but I like there's not really anything to hate about them. They're... Their young stars are good players, and I ha- they haven't been around enough and beat Calgary enough for me to dislike them. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm actually having fun watching them, and I'm not going to go out and say I'm actively cheering for them, but I I don't think I'll be upset if they win. Let's put it that way. Wow. Wow. Bold statements here on the Battle of Alberta podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, I guess we should uh, move on to the most relevant series for this show. And that was Dallas over Calgary. Uh, so I had Dallas beating Calgary in six. You had Calgary beating Dallas in six, I believe. Six ah! It makes it so much worse that you got it exactly correct, too. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Everything yeah. about the series was bad. The universe hates us. Sports is pain. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so for those listening who don't know and couldn't just guess based on that, Dallas did end up beating the Flames in six games. Um, game six in particular was quite the feat. <laughs> I don't know how much detail you want to go in on the whole series, but why, why don't I uh, leave it open to you first? Is this like is this how Leafs fans always feel 100% of the time? Because if that's the case, I might actually start to feel sorry for them. Like that was, that was a Leafs esque collapse, and I also think it says something about either myself or the Flames. I'm not sure which yet. That when the Flames went up three nothing before Dallas even got a shot on goal, I wasn't confident. There was massive parts of me thinking, "Oh, this is not gonna go." They are going to give up the lead, and granted. I thought they would slowly give up the lead until the very end of the game where they would give away another goal in the last 10 seconds and then lose. Instead of that gradual escalation, it was just like a cannonball of sadness. It was just all at once. And I actually, I will freely admit, I did not finish watching that game. I stopped when it was at 5-3 to and watched Top Gear instead. (laughs) That's, it, it was horrible. And I I think we're going to actually forget that the series up to that point wasn't that bad. It wasn't ideal, but actually the first game looked great with like Dylan Dubé flying around. We thought we suddenly had a new Connor McDavid in Calgary and his name was Dylan Dubé and he scored two whole goals and <laughs> and everything was amazing and then uh 
Dallas sort of just woke up and started to not like crush the flames, but just squeeze them like squeeze like tons of shots on goal. And Talbot was playing really well, to be honest, Mm -hmm. until the very last game. That's another thing that might actually go by the wayside is our memories sort of fade away about this series is that Talbot was amazing for five games of this series and he deserves a ton of credit for that while dallas was putting on a clinic just lobbing shot after shot on calgary i'm not even going to go into the blame game because there's a lot of blame to go around and you can really get caught up in that but the whole flames team just sort of crumpled and that's something they should have learned from this core should have learned over the last five six years that they've been together and they didn't show the sort of fortitude that you need in the playoffs. And I say fortitude like they went through something awful. They were up three goals. I don't I don't know what kind of fortitude you need to be able to work through that sort of tough situation. But <laughs> like whatever's missing there is very glaring. And um I actually heard I've heard so many opinions, heard and read so many opinions in the last 24 48 hours on what happened to the flames and i think one of my favorite ones that i definitely agree with was rhett warner on the fan 960 morning show and for those who don't know rhett warner if that name sounds familiar that's because he was a player in the nhl he played for a lot of different teams including the flames during the 04 run and now he's on the sports radio in the morning here in calgary and his feeling was that the flames don't block enough shots Hmm. and that wasn't like a oh, the coach needs to make them block more shots. It wasn't a system thing. It was they don't block enough shots because they're not dedicated to doing whatever it takes to win. Right. So, so he's not saying that their main defensive scheme should be getting in front of shots and blocking them. He's saying that when the players have a chance to block them, they don't think, I need to block this to save a goal. I need to block this for my team. They're thinking, oh, I'll let this shot through so that my goalie can see it and he can save it. But it it kind of his point was that it's the underlying like desperation to win that the Flames don't have. They don't think I need to get down and block this shot to send it the other way. There's a couple players like that, like Giordano and probably Kachuk that would fling themselves in front of that puck to stop a goal. And that really resonated with me because you see that in teams like the New York Islanders who beat Washington so soundly and Columbus who, even though they didn't make it past Tampa, are a tough team to beat. And Montreal, again, who overachieved over their heads. And then Calgary, severely disappointed. And uh, the stats backed it up. Like Dallas blocked 20 to 30 shots in the last game, and Calgary blocked nine. Hmm. And a couple of the goals, they just they could have gotten in the way. And they do the kind of stick your stick out in front of it or – kind of make it look like you're putting your foot out to block it, but they never do what it takes to actually win. So that's kind of, I like that viewpoint from Warner. It's he's pointing out sort of a symptom that sort of gets at what the team is lacking, I think. So, you know, I could go on for probably three episodes on what I think should happen in the off season and what caused this collapse and blah, blah, blah. But we don't record episodes that long and for good reason. It would probably bore you to death. (laughs) But I think kind of in summation, this team doesn't have any more excuses left. Um, They always kind of had an excuse before and a valid one. 
which was they're young and they haven't had much playoff experience and they need to grow from these losses and stuff like that. But they've been together for five or six years now. Gaudreau, Monaghan, Giordano, Backlund, guys like that. They've had four first-round exits. And I think that's enough for a lot of the fans, probably for the general manager. Something's going to change. It's kind of hard to say who. It might be multiple who's. But uh, (laughs) personally, I'm looking forward to the offseason. That's kind of the silver lining because it's sports and we get to see these players traded around and we get to see all sorts of changes potentially. And it stings right now. But I think it's kind of – it's. It's almost better than if the Flames had limped into the second round and gotten beaten there because now we know for sure that this team needs some changes and that horrifying loss is a pretty good indicator that that will take place. Yeah, that's that's fair for sure. I, th- I think you're right. Had they made it a little bit further, it wouldn't have been as big a deal and especially because of the last game of that series, uh, how much that affects the need for change and reminds people that changes should be coming. But um, I'm glad you brought up uh, Talbot because as you know, like I've been a huge fan of his since, you know, he was playing for the Rangers as uh, Lundqvist backup. And then obviously when he was uh, the Oilers starter, I was a huge fan of his. So I feel like when, and I even said on this show that I didn't think he should have been let go when he was. Uh, so I feel like when Calgary ended up getting him, I, I almost felt like I had to like sell him to you guys. Like, no, no, he's really good. <laughs> I swear. And so I feel like every time he like lets you guys down, I'm like having to cash in on the warranty on him or something like that. But <laughs> So I'm really glad that you uh, you made mention of the fact that, yeah, despite that one game, he did really well throughout a lot of that series. And, you know, that's one thing like goalies like humans that they are have bad days, have bad games, have really bad games. Sometimes it's very unfortunate that that one was, um, you know, a elimination game. But, you know, when he. when he was playing for the Oilers, when they were in the playoffs, however many years ago that was, I think it was only two, but it feels like forever. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember, but scorched into my memory, the Oilers actually lost a game 7 nothing to San Jose in the first round, uh, but they ended up winning that series. So like, you know, like I said, the Flames lost that last game 7-3, to but that was only one game, right? So yeah. It's very unfortunate that that was the game. <laughs> that was the elimination game that he sort of uh, fell to pieces on. But, yeah, he did, a, I think, a really good job throughout the series. Um, and, yeah, like I said, very unfortunate that it turned the way it did. But uh, what I was really interested in was actually the really early stages of that first game, though, um, that got the Flames up to that 3 nothing lead. Like, they looked like last year's regular season Flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know it didn't, it wasn't very long of a period. It was like <laughs> six and a half minutes that they looked like that, but they were up three nothing. They had seven shots on net. Dallas had zero. Dallas had effectively like no time on attack. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Rick Bonus takes what looks to be the most miraculous timeout in NHL history (laughs) (laughs) because then Dallas goes on to score seven unanswered goals and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But, uh, like, there was, like, a a glimmer of last year's flames there, and I was like, 
like this can be that really good team. Uh, and if you throw Kachuk in there as well, give that like maybe it's that passion that requires that's required to like have that last longer than seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really interesting to see them uh, dominate for that small stretch. And then, like you said, just everything just kind of fell apart. One way to sum it up is that the Flames love to win, but not enough of them hate to lose. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew Kachuk is someone that hates to lose, and that's why he gets up to all those antics is because he will do anything to not yep. lose. Uh, and I think that when you saw – this is just honestly my opinion. I can't get into the brains of these guys, obviously. But mm -hmm. when you see them come flying out of the gate like that and see them play the way that they can play, we know that Monaghan and Gaudreau have so much more than they showed in the playoffs. They have what they showed in that first seven minutes. So I think that was them so badly wanting to win, which they have. But then when Lucic got that penalty and that first goal went in, the life just goes out of them because they don't have that desperation to not lose. And so they can't keep up or they won't keep up that crazy offensive pace and everything that we know they have in them. So that's just that's just kind of like a spitball idea for me on maybe the mentality of this team. It's just kind of what it looks like. But I I really like these players. This is I'm I'm only 27 years old. So this is kind of the first era of Flames players where I've really gotten to watch and process. And I'm kind of the same age as a lot of them. So like everything lines up well. And I'm, so I'm attached to these players, but it really, it hurts to see them go out like that and to maybe think that they're, they're not what it's going to take to get farther in the playoffs. So it's kind of like a, a sad realization for me at this point, but I'm hoping that either something miraculous will happen in the off season, or maybe, maybe this is the actual last straw that wakes them up to unlock their potential. But I guess we'll just have to wait and find that out. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good insight you've made there on on the players and uh, because I, as a, an Oilers fan, I definitely, uh, you know, we used to see that a lot with the Oilers. Um, they're just like one little thing could go wrong and it would just shut them down. It would just break their character and their soul and uh, it just made the rest of the game go absolutely terribly. And But, you know, that that's not um, as much of their problem recently, but I, I definitely agree with uh seeing that that's what happened, you know, in that game and has happened in other games. So, yeah, that makes total sense to me. Now, after that totally not depressing breakdown of the Flames, it is time for Selly and Scorn. Selly's and Scorn. Selly and Scorns. <laughs> Stu, do you have a Selly or a Scorn to lead us off with? Sure. I'll start with a Selly. So... My Sally uh, is actually for Ken Campbell of the Hockey News. What isn't that? And, the, wait, hold up. That's the guy no. that you. Is yep. the guy that you scorned very heavily? Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. So, for those of you that remember, uh, or for those of you that don't, uh, I scorned him a couple episodes ago because I felt that his article didn't do enough to discourage the culture of hockey above all, and players potentially snubbing those who opted out. So since then, he's written another article uh, that tells a bit of a different story. So I figured it was only fair that I actually, you know, give him the Selly too when he 
like obviously didn't listen to me but (laughs) when he sort of changed his tone uh, you know it's only fair that i call him out for that as well so that's my silly this uh, episode is for him uh the article was basically about rask's decision to opt out and um campbell just basically had a, a much different spin on the whole thing uh a quote from the article was uh, at this time of the year you can't even have a fourth line or forget about a number one goaltender whose mind and heart are somewhere else so good on rask for being honest with his employer and choosing to be with his family so obviously he's acknowledging hockey is not above all right uh, he goes on to say that rask's attempt to try and live the bubble life was commendable and while the situation was not ideal again it's seemed like the right thing to do for Rask to ask to go and for Boston to let him. So props to Ken Campbell for, you know, acknowledging that. And uh, I think making um, a better spin on hockey culture and um, being more encouraging of a good hockey culture rather than just allowing the bad hockey culture to festate, if you will. Yeah, clearly something changed his mind. I, I'm going to assume it was you, Stu. That was a very compelling score in a couple episodes ago. But good for him. For, good for Ken Campbell for coming around on that and then, you know, actually taking up that stance when Tuka Rask left. That's really cool to see that he was willing to change his mind on that. Yep. How about you? Well, this is going to come out of so far left field. You're not going to see it coming. Uh, my celly is for Kevin Bieksa. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Kevin Bieksa, the same Vancouver Canucks slash Anaheim duck that was just such a punchable face for those teams for so many years that Michael Furlan ran through the boards about 150 times in that one playoff series. You know, that, that guy, the one that you actually mentioned his name a few minutes ago, saying how much you hated the Vancouver Canucks because of him. That yes, one? that okay. one. Yeah, <laughs> he turns out he's a really good hockey analyst. And I never thought I would say that. The first time I saw him on a broadcast, my knee-jerk reaction was to kick my TV as hard as I could. But he brings a lot of really good insight to the hockey, or to the sports net panelists in the intermissions and he's genuinely really funny and i think he has so many takes that are so much more relatable than other panelists usually make it and i gotta say that i'm usually a little bit uh irked when ex-players are just gifted a spot on any sort of sports broadcast like that because in my mind it kind of takes away opportunities from people that are working really hard to get into places like that where players can just you know, kind of hop into a media role, but he like, he deserves it. He's very, very good at it. And I genuinely enjoy hearing what he has to say. And that says something considering how much of a hated player he was in my books against the flames. So yeah, good on you, Kevin Bieksa. You're making, you're making the hire of X players look really good. And I genuinely look forward to all his analysis in the intermissions. Yeah. Um, I, Definitely agree on that. Like everything you said is absolutely true. He's uh, been really good. And I I was also surprised because I also hated him. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, he's 
making me watch some of the intermission stuff unmuted because I actually want to hear what some of them have to say, uh, what he what he has to say. He's really good. He knows his stuff. He uh, talks really intelligently about the actual playing of hockey, the strategy of it. Obviously, he has the experience, but not all players can sort of translate that uh, and actually speak about it well. And not only that, but as you said, he's he's funny, he's charming, he works well with the other hosts. I, I think he's done a great job, and yeah, he's probably my favorite on the desk right now. And he pokes fun at Brian Burke on a regular basis, so that <laughs> just puts him in the good books immediately. Yep. Um, so speaking of broadcasters that deserve to be on air and make everyone look really good, I'm going to highlight one that is none of those things in Mike Milbury. Mike Milbury is an ex-player from a long, long time ago and an ex-GM who also occupies a spot in NBC Sports. And he is so far from deserving that spot. And it was just highlighted again this week when he made a disparaging remark about women. And here's the exact quote. He said, there's not even any women here in the bubble to disrupt your concentration. Now, you can interpret that any way you'd like to try to do some mental gymnastics. Oh, he didn't mean it like that. Yeah, he did. He meant it exactly how you think he meant it in the worst way possible. And I know that because Mike Milbury, for him, this is just another Tuesday. He's previously said on air that nobody cares about women's hockey, and he's said all sorts of disparaging remarks about that. Uh, When Jake Muzzin of the Leafs went down to an injury, a pretty bad injury, uh, during the play-in, Milbury suggested that he went down to just, you know, take a penalty and was faking it and everything. But Muzzin was taken off the ice on a stretcher and straight to a hospital. And God. the dude's a hockey player. So you know that he wasn't faking that. Hockey players will play through broken bones if they have to. Like, I don't know how you can possibly defend this guy any longer. When he was a player, he climbed into the stands and beat a fan with his own shoe. Like this, <laughs> this guy shouldn't be anywhere near social media. He shouldn't be anywhere near broadcasting. He repeatedly has boneheaded takes about everything. He, he's just hard to watch. He tweeted about how he was in Seattle by the Space Needle, and it was a picture of the CN Tower a couple weeks ago. <laughs> like NBC, you have to get this moron off your broadcast and put someone in there that deserves it. Literally anyone else. This guy was a useless player. A even worse general manager and now he's somehow even worse as a television personality so my scorn is for mike milbury you don't deserve to be on tv you don't deserve to have your voice heard you just need to rethink some of the things you say dude come on uh yeah so on that note my scorn would be the exact same (laughs) (laughs) basically uh everything you just said uh it's funny like I remember like all those stupid things that he's done and said, I remember all of those things. I did not remember. They were all the same person. That's what makes that so sad. It's like, Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, the guy gets carried off in a stretcher. He's clearly faking it. Yeah. What a faker. uh, Yeah. He also speaking of, um, you know, Ken Campbell and Rask, uh, Milbury also had some, you know, less than polite comments about Rask and basically insinuating that Rask made a ridiculous choice that he would never make in his life. And none of the other players would ever do that either. So it's preposterous for Rask to care about his family more than, you know, glory or whatever the heck he believes in. But 
Yeah, my scorn is also for the exact same guy for all the exact same reasons. Well, I definitely believe that Mike Milbury wouldn't, you know, leave his work situation to go be with his wife and like three young yeah. daughters if he had Probably them. True. And another thing was in his comment that brought this up that not even there's not even any women here to disrupt your concentration. There's so many women that are probably working so hard to make this bubble even happen. There's probably tons yeah. of women that work on the same broadcast that he's on. Like what, how stupid can you be to say that comment when women are like just as big of a part of the workforce, making this entire NHL bubble happen as men. That's just such a, ah, ah, yeah. I don't know if he's on a TV again, after he said that, I have no faith in NBC or anyone. Like, you have to can that guy. Stat. All right. Well, now's the time where we flip a coin and see if it does better <laughs> than us at predicting the second round of the playoffs. Uh, well, there's no Alberta teams to talk about this time around. Big shocker. Wow, so surprised. There, but, I can't uh, believe our t- teams didn't make it past the first round. Wow. <laughs> let's just start in the West because it's left to right on my screen. Um, how about let's start with Vegas and Vancouver. What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, I have Vegas winning in six. Uh, we went over Vancouver in a little more detail than usual, but like they're pesky and surprisingly good. So it it wouldn't completely blow me away if they beat Vegas, but I don't see that happening. Vegas is pretty overwhelming in every aspect. So yeah, Vegas in six for me. Yeah. I've also got Vegas in six. Uh, Vancouver is putting up a fight. They're scrappy, like you said, uh, but they're just not on the same level as Vegas is right now. Uh, How about the uh, avalanche and the stars? Well, I said we would, talk a little bit more about Colorado. I think McKinnon might be the best player in the world right now. Yes, I'm aware that Connor McDavid exists. Uh, <laughs> I think you could probably put McKinnon on the same level as McDavid and maybe a little bit higher as of these playoffs. Cause he's just, he's lights out and he actually fought and beat up a dude. Uh, F and rights. Let's go in the round uh, against who they play Arizona Yeah, and the round against Arizona, <laughs> like he does everything and scores like crazy. And the kicker is he has a really deep team around him. Yeah. So yep. like he's one of the best young defensemen playing behind him. He has excellent offensive players. The Leafs gifted to Colorado Nazem Kadri. Thank you Leafs. So <laughs> Colorado, I have them winning in five because Dallas could barely dispatch a out of sorts flames team. So what are they going to do against Colorado? Yeah. I, again, also have the abs in five over the stars. Uh, they are looking really, really, really good right now. I, you know, don't disagree that McKinnon and McDavid are, you know, definitely equals uh, at the very least. Um, he is amazing. And as you said, he's got a hugely amazing team around him. Uh, not so much with McDavid, but, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, I had basically the same comment of Dallas struggled with the flames, so they don't have much hope against Colorado here. Well, uh, we promise we don't copy and paste our notes and send it to each other. Everybody, this yeah. is just, this we is why Stu and I are friends at all <laughs> until we record. It's true. Uh, I- 
Jets on to the East. Yeah. Let's see if we have any differences here. Let's start with uh, Philly and the Islanders. Well, I have, I have Islanders in six. What do you got? Oh, okay. We have a difference. I have Ooh. Flyers over the Islanders in six as well, though. But uh, like over the past two playoffs, I feel like I'm constantly underestimating the Islanders. And I'm going to keep doing it because <laughs> I, I have the Flyers beating them. Uh, I, the Flyers are just I, I surprisingly, suddenly, I don't know what, what the word is I want to use, but I didn't see this coming. The Flyers being a good team again, and they're like really, really good all of a sudden. Uh, and so I think the Islanders did a really good job against Washington, as we discussed. I think they're going to put up a fight. They're going to make it difficult for uh, the uh, for Philly. But uh, ultimately, I think Philly is, you know, almost the, the Colorado of the East right now. They're they're quick. They're scoring. They're just really, really good. Wow. Colorado of the East. That makes me want to rethink my decision, but I'll stick with <laughs> it. New York didn't just scrap and scrape out a victory against Washington. Like they clobbered them like it was almost nothing. So I see them as like the mega supercharged souped up version of Montreal and Philly did have a bit of trouble with Montreal. So, I mean, I will be perfectly honest. I don't think I watched a single full game of this series. Um, And I didn't watch much overall, but just from scores and reactions and comments, I, it's not going to surprise me if New York, if the Islanders win, and I plan on watching them now that I know that they can do what they just did to Washington. Yeah, no, you know what? The way you've described them as a souped-up Montreal and the fact that Philly did have some difficulty against them, that, you know, that is pretty convincing. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, New York is able to take this, but I also feel like New York is kind of like New York – last year uh was the same as columbus last year you know they both swept really good teams and then uh couldn't make it past the second round and i think you know those teams they're good but they don't have staying power yet they're not quite Mm. that level so i think they did really well against washington but now that was a hard-fought battle there uh and i don't know how much life they have left but we'll see i I guess you know if you've learned anything from our attempted predictions here this will probably be the series to watch because we're not quite sure what'll happen but one of us will be right <laughs> right er yes <laughs> uh and last but not least boston and tampa i have tampa bay winning in seven if the last series was interesting because we don't really know what was going to happen this series is going to be interesting because it's going to be an absolute beatdown slugfest between two of the best teams in the league i don't really know how you decisively pick who wins this the only thing i wrote down was that tampa's overcome their columbus demons and <laughs> Like, as we've said, Tuka Rask, who's Boston's number one goalie, has left the bubble to be with his family. So Tampa gets to take on a backup goalie, and the backup goalie isn't that bad. It's Yaroslav Halak, who's just fine. (laughs) But it's still a backup goalie. So, like, I don't know what's going to happen. This is going to be an absolute, like, battle between the Titans. Yeah, I got to say, I I told this to a, a friend of mine who's a Boston fan 
because he mentioned that, you know, hey, we had a backup goalie and we still won that series. And like to call Halak a backup goalie is part of what makes me hate the sporting <laughs> success because it, it's like an embarrassment of riches. It's like, oh yeah, Yaroslav Halak, he's just our backup. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? He's your backup? So, you know, yeah, he's he's no Rask and that, that was an adjustment for them. Uh, but like Halak is a starter anywhere else, I think. So honestly, uh, uh, I think this is going to be a great series too. It's going to be a slugfest, like you said, but... Uh, we have a difference again because I do have Boston beating Tampa here. I have it in six, but you know, seven probably seems pretty reasonable too. And I, I hate that I have Boston winning this, but it's true. <laughs> uh, like, like I said last episode, I said Boston looks sleepy and not ready, and they proved me wrong with a vengeance. They made pretty quick work of with Carolina, who is a really, really good team. While Tampa did, you know, again like you know in five but not really five uh uh, over columbus uh who are good but not like carolina good i don't think um so i I think boston is is the stronger team here they're gonna you know force their will over tampa tampa's a really good uh skill team but boston just has their way with anyone it seems it's Uh, true and you know technically this is considered an upset um because of the how the round robin worked out but uh really boston <laughs> dominated the regular season this year so that i don't consider that an upset in any stretch no, not really but at least we've learned from our last predictions we're kind of diversifying our eastern conference selections so that one of us yeah. is going to be right yeah one of us will be right on both of those series <laughs> yep nailed it good planning yep. Stu. Yeah, totally. (laughs) uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Battle of Alberta podcast. Sadly, we don't have any more Alberta teams to cheer for, but rest assured, we will be watching hockey and we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Please rate us, like us, subscribe to us. Just anything to get the word out. That's how people find out about our podcast and start listening to it. So thanks once again for listening. Our theme song is Lose Your Head by Apache Tomcat, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.